Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. Not to tell you, I watched the uh, I watched the Charlie Brown Christmas this year. I, I love that show. It's Ever since I've been a kid, it's one of my favorite specials. And I put it on, and I got to tell you something. Uh, Linus kills it on stage. I, I know a lot of comics who just, they don't know how to get on stage. They, they run the light. If you watch it, Linus comes up when he gives his speech, which always tears me up, and he just grabs the, he asks for the light, he just grabs it and he just destroys, doesn't run the light, and it's amazing. And I also noticed one thing, why Charlie Brown screwed up. The women are just awful to him in that. They're just so mean, they're yelling at him. And I would just like to see once, just once, I'd like to see Charlie Brown look at Lucy and say, it puts the lotion in the basket. I think that would make it because you know that's going to happen. That's just the way I am. But anyway, we have a great show today. We have uh, Mary Lynn Rice Cup. I said it right. You did. I, so Sounded are, are good. You, Looking do, good. Do you like the Charlie Brown Christmas? Um, I used to like it. You know, my, you know, they have that movie that was just out. Uh, I didn't see the movie, but we drove by the poster every day. Uh, my six-year-old son and I. And one day he said, we kept driving by it. And he didn't say anything. And then he goes, you know why I don't want to see that movie, Mom? And I said, no, why? And he goes. It looks old. It doesn't look modern. And then he said, also, I don't think it's for my generation. And he's six years old. <laughs> I was like, who are you? That's like, a smart kid. You're writing for BuzzFeed or, you know, it's a pretty, <laughs> pretty big critique for a six-year-old looking at a poster. Yeah. Now, now, now that must be weird when you see stuff like that. And then having a child when you're, you're very popular. I mean, must, does, it, does your son understand like, you know, you have a whole generation of 24 people that love you. I mean, is that, does he, does he know of your fame? Cause I always wonder how kids, if they know of their, of their parents fame. Yeah. I mean, when he was younger, he used to say, why was that person talking to you? And then very quickly it became, Oh, Oh, cause she's on 24 or, you know, he'll say to me, Oh, are you going to act again? Like if I leave and I tell him I'm going to work, are you going to act? Or the other day, I think I was going to do a podcast and he goes, hope you make a lot of money, mom. (laughs) (laughs) No, No, well, so he understands parts of it. Now, now you've acted for a long time. Did you always know you wanted to act? I mean, as a kid, what did you, what was your, I mean, we don't know as kids, but did you, did you always know you wanted to act or when did you start getting interested in this craft? I always tell the story of, Certainly, I did not come to L.A. to act at all. I was going to school for painting, for fine art painting. And then I started doing performance art and doing performance art in clubs and bars and coffee shops in San Francisco where comedians were coming. And I just sort of mixed with the comedians and thought, oh, people are laughing at me, not on purpose. (laughs) What if I started tailoring? I just liked being on stage and talking. That was that was a lot of what my performance art was. But being around comedians, I learned how to watch them and and that they were so good at their personal narrative. But had I approached it as somebody who was, you know, I've got stuff to talk about, I would have never done comedy that way. And as for the acting, I I, I always forget that I did it as a kid and I did it in high school. And it really was the only thing that I enjoyed doing. Um, but then when it got time to come to college, I didn't want to go to college for acting or really be around actors, and I didn't want to get a job, so I just went to art school. Why did you want to be around actors? You just didn't really, they didn't like them, or you just, I mean, it's like, one high school, it's weird, because I always think in my high school, and it was a different time for theater. There wasn't, a, I mean, we had a great theater school where I, in my high school, but- Where'd you go to school? In Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and the East has had a great- program but a lot of people weren't doing acting back then it wasn't like it wasn't like a popular thing and the guys that were had Mm. leg warmers and the girls always tried (laughs) to act like they tried to act like oh i'm so hip but like and it was weird i think i wasn't very studious and also just the thought of being around people that talked about acting and just were i don't know overly theatrical I guess for lack of a better way to describe it I just had no interest in doing that I I think I didn't really I think my heart knew what it wanted to do which was to study art and and I really needed that but at the time I wasn't very conscious of that and going to art school and kind of learning the basics of artistic expression you know because that was really eye-opening and and a really wonderful thing for me I don't think I was ready to 
go into the performing of it. You know, I didn't really have any interest in, I'm going to study the history of theater arts and do a bunch of acting exercises. I think I was way more introverted than that. Now, did you always paint? Like as a kid, were you a painter? I mean, did you A little always, bit, yeah. And just what, something just drew it to you? Because painting is yeah. always one of those things that it's got to, like, we all think we can paint. Like when you're a kid, you think you can draw. Well, I think that's the beauty of it. I, You know, I, I think it is a, it is sort of a, it's sad when people go to that. Oh, I could never. I think everybody has the impulse and I don't think you're supposed to be perfect at it or people have this idea that good drawing means you draw like it's a photograph and I don't, you know, it's just a basic thing to want to do render something or think of something. And oh, I, I mean, I'm not really even g- that great at it because even, you know, my drawing classes, I lost my patience really quickly because I didn't like to sit still and I was bored and I just wasn't very concentrated. So, so I drew, I remember I still, my mom still has it. I, I drew a bear in charcoal when I was like in third grade. I took this cartoon class. And my yeah. mom, my mom kept it. I don't know if you remember so when great. you would mat, you would put those like the mats around the sure. picture. It was this matted bear. I don't, yeah. I don't know if she still has it, but I remember she had it like 15 years ago. I'm like, Oh my God, you had the bear. I'm looking, I'm going, Hey, I, I should have been an artist. I yeah, there's drawing. something. Yeah, you really should get back into that. That's I, why I wanted to come here today to tell you. To tell, I thought that to I, get yeah. back into drawing. <laughs> so now, now you're 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 going. You're in San over Francisco. the holidays. Just bust out a few drawings. Should will I bust you? a drawing out? What should, yeah. what should I? Should I doodle Santa Claus? What should I? What should landscapes? Wow, still lifes. I don't still. I don't. Like animals. This. Get I, back to the bears and bear, the animals. I, that's that's a good idea. I think I'll do the people. Bears. People are good. People I, I, like the, I like the cartoon people. I don't want people in parks, though, because I'll be back east, and there's always weird people in parks in the Philadelphia Okay, area. cartoons, then. I'll do cartoons. All right. Again. So now, now you're in San Francisco, and you're doing the performance art. Yes. And now, what was your performance art like? Because you always hear different things. Like, you know, Karen Finley was a performance artist. There's always different performance artists. What was your, what was your per se, performance art? I mean, I wasn't Karen Finley naked rubbing chocolate and using my vagina, but I definitely was standing on stage speaking. So a lot of my performances were performance audience oriented, you know, uh, an early one, I had a podium that was made out of cardboard that kept falling apart and I would have papers and like a pointer. So it was basically a monologue about a person trying to do a monologue or they would, there would be scraps of abstract thoughts on pieces of paper that I would read randomly or a, a lot of different structures made out of cardboard or there was one involving melting ice cream, one involving my foot uh, tied to a ceiling. You know, I can't I can't really explain it. <laughs> no. The point of of all that. Really. No, how did comics relate to it? Because I know, you know, because comics in San Francisco has always been a very hip comedy town. Right. And I know sometimes, you know, comics can be sort of snobbish if something's different. It's changed a lot now, I think. But how did Well, com- I mean, I didn't do I did that stuff in my performance art class when I started a lot of the comedy nights I did were more like open mic poetry nights because the comedy clubs were starting to close and you just said it, uh, San Francisco is a little bit hipper and artier. There's, there is that kind of coffee house crowd, uh, especially when I was there. And so I was doing, I think I thought I was doing poetry, but my performance of it was always, nervous and a little bit confrontative and so I think I was trying to figure out how to do comedy and because I was at these open mic nights it was a little bit safer of a space because you would get random people on the lineup you know it'd be probably be half comics and half poets which was really interesting on the comedian's part to even go to these rooms but when I started doing more comedy shows that was here in the LA in LA and it was the alternative scene so there were a lot of themed shows so I would often be a character but that is a you know there's a part of that that still maintains to my stand-up today even though I'm not playing a character I'm playing myself but at that time I think I got away with it by you know, probably being the character of a performance artist. Okay. But okay. even if I wasn't, I remember Laura Keitlinger. Do you know her? She, I know she doesn't remember doing this, but she's like, well, you know, I, I don't even, now I don't even remember. It was so long ago, but she made some, what I perceived as like disparaging comment about the performance artist. And, you know, I kind of idolized her and, 
now looking back on it, she was just doing what comedians do to try to deal with what the audience just saw and segue into what they were doing because I, what I did definitely changed the energy of the room. And, you know, sometimes I, I, I don't want to like be shitty to myself you know oftentimes it would just be weird and uncomfortable but oftentimes it would be hilarious and good but it was a you know it was a tightrope act because I didn't at that time especially with the alternative comedy scene you know it was like don't say the same thing twice and you know I really prided myself on not knowing exactly what I was going to say so it was really experimentation so I think you know people partly appreciated that and then also were like okay that was you know you know what I mean that maybe like wasn't great for my pacing if I'm going to go to stand up but then again like I said a lot of people were doing characters and I was on some of those early shows with Bob and David with Tenacious D and I remember um Laura Milligan I don't know if you knew her but she used to she doesn't live here anymore I said that like she was it was past tense but <laughs> the, the 90s is past tense right. but she would uh host a show where she would play the character of a child star who was still in Hollywood, but who wrote books of poetry and fancied herself. So the setup was that you could be, you know, goofy or pretentious within the theme oh, yeah. of the show. I totally agree. It's like when I did stand up in Philadelphia, Paul F. Tompkins was one of the guys. Yes. And Paul, you know, we all said, you know, get out of Philly. I mean, Philly was a good comedy town, but Philadelphia was, you know, the comedy works, comedy factor, and the comedy cabarets. And so, you know, I would go and host or feature, but you'd always be, when there was a headliner, it'd be a guy with a cheesy guitar or the guy with the bad impressions. <clears throat> and Paul, I'm mean, actually Paul started off in a comedy team called Gus. And he was just so different, but he was just so funny, but people wouldn't get him. And we just said, dude, man, don't get, get out of, get out of That's Philly. That's a perfect example because Paul, I hung out with, I mean, multiple times a week him david cross david cross was boston and you could tell both of those guys were so different and so intelligent and so charismatic but they were come you know having to react off of what the comedy boom was in those cities where a lot of it was just like so distasteful and it, was, it just became something it was that, a tough they were tough towns and they were basically and it was if you were a little bit different crowds weren't used to that because you had like you know, the big Italian guys just were used to something like, oh, wait, you know, tell me a dick joke or, right. or hey, uh, you're not juggling, you know, stuff right. like that. I, mean, I remember working at a club where the owner said, yeah, 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 don't, don't do your new crap. It's too cerebral, you know. And I go, what, what'd you hire for? <laughs> uh, my crowd is like that. So then you, you mess with the crowd. Well, we don't, don't mess with the crowd. The headliner won't do that. It was, you couldn't find an identity. And when Paul came out with like you guys, the alternative, it was, it was great because I think the alternative scene has changed a lot now. But, right. But for when you guys came out, it was, it was alternative. Now it's not as Well, now I feel for better or for worse, people are, I mean, it is for better that you are kind of leading with their personalities and you see a lot of people, especially in LA, people can come and they're not necessarily going to develop as a stand-up who's going to work the road, but they're going to develop this point of view and this personality and a certain style of joke writing that will lead them to a writing job or that will lead them to a certain part that's perfect for them. And I don't think the scene was open to that when, when the comedy boom was happening. And now it's, and it's, of course, you know, the way our programming is now there's a niche for everything right. like every aspect of any kind of personality you want to find which is great now how did you parlay you parlayed you started working for um mr show with dave and bob right did you write for I that did. show no not you at just, all you acted on it yes okay and now was was that something you look forward to being the acting part because you know you wanted to be an artist and then you came down and did you want to get into acting? I mean, did you think your career would go? Oh, I was just having the best time. I mean, I was giddy to be around those guys and to all the the live shows that they did to, to develop that material. I just was, I thought it was the best ever. And I looked at myself as just lucky to be there and would for years, you know, bemoan the fact that, oh, I should have a sketch packet. But I wasn't really... Um, you know, I just uh, acting was something that happened for me first. So you acted that, and then you were also in uh, Veronica's Closet. 
Uh-huh. No, no, I do my research, but it's funny because you played <laughs> Chloe on that and yeah. you played Chloe later, which is weird. I mean, yeah. how many people in their lives play two characters named Chloe yeah. spelled differently though? But now, was it what was it like for you going into a sitcom world? Because, I mean, it's something that you were, you're coming from the alternative world right? and then Mr. did the show and then you're going to a... I mean, that was a straight up sitcom. I mean, that's like, you know, it was a funny show, but it was... What was it like for you? Did you feel constrained coming into it? You know, it? I still hold on to this idea that I don't know why. It's just in in part of me that, oh, the sitcom. Like I have this fantasy that why didn't that ever happen more for me, or that that, that I'm reserving the space for this the perfect sitcom. And in reality, I don't know if I'm even meant. You know, it, it's kind of exactly what you just said. Sometimes you say things. A lot of times you say things just in a certain cadence or with a certain amount of words that can fit into. The, swap, the slot quickly where the other person speaks back and it's like that's not even the kind of stuff that I like necessarily but I for so long put that as this holy grail of just craft and being able to um, quickly get jokes across that, that you know I, I do hold that in high regard at the same time I don't even know if I like the format very much so I I, I live with both of those point of, points of view but the reason I got on Veronica's Closet looking back on it, I was, uh, really strange and socially not able to socially awkward and kind of bottled up and very neurotic and not very objective. And I also, it's not that I wasn't respectful, but I look back on it and I think, why did you, could you not find a clean t-shirt that fit you to wear to the audition or just my attitude where, and, you know, those are just, I don't want to say psychological problems. It's not that heavy of a thing. But those were personal issues that I had where I would go into a room and have a chip on my shoulder that thinking, well, what's wrong with them? You know, why don't they get me? Which in some ways, you know, I, it, I think they saw me and saw this sort of raw artist, interesting person because I was kind of natural and putting it out there. But on the other hand, just odd you know and surprising that I even was able to get on a sitcom and get along and hit the mark and say it right at that time because I was so uh green at it um Wally Langham who was on the uh Larry Sanders show he's the one that got me the audition for Veronica's Closet and I remember that audition and I think they just thought I was interesting and odd and hoped that I could deliver it so um it was fun, you know. It's a very organic. I don't mean to talk about it in such a serious manner, but yeah. well, I think also organic. You said, you know, because Larry Sanders. That, I mean, that was one of the cutting edge shows back then too, and you were on that. So that must have been a little bit of a breeding ground for you to actually be yourself. Oh yeah, that was amazing, and and also, I was very lucky because that was the one of the best audition processes ever because it was John Regi, who was the head writer, and Gary Shandling, and they put took me in a room and this was the audition no materials and you know Gary Shandling have you ever met him or talked no, to him I've Regie's been on a show but I've never met Okay Gary. so he's just kind of odd but very present you know and he also so he just looked at me and was like what are you doing and I was like I don't know what are you doing and we went back and forth like that for about 10 minutes with those two looking at each other and whispering to each other and that was the audition and I ended up getting the job and it was, I was so nervous, but it was the perfect amount of work, you know, per episode, I'd probably have a scene or a scene and a half, or there are a few episodes where my character would have more to do, but it was just enough. And I felt very lucky to sort of learn on the job how to do it. That must be, yeah, and also, as you said, because Gary Shelling, the guy's great. I mean, I mean, Richie's a great, I mean, it's, yeah. I, I, it was such a popular show, and it had, you know, uh, Jeffrey uh, Tambor. Yeah, yeah and, just, and guys like that with uh, Reggie and Gary Shandling who just know, kind of know what they want and could see in somebody the feeling of, of what they were going for that would fit into the show. So there weren't endless amounts of, you know, okay, let's read the girl with the red hair for this. Like right. it wasn't, a, the, the vision was so strong and the, the quality of what they were doing. Now, as you're acting in these shows, are you still getting on stage? Are you Are you still getting that, stage presence you liked or did, were you just basically saying okay I'm gonna con- concentrate on my acting 
I mean, cause it's, it must be hard when you do a show and mm-hmm. it goes late, you really can't say, Hey, yeah, book me on the show. And then you call out on the set, you know what I mean? So were yeah, you... I, yeah. D- I mean, acting definitely took over for quite a few amount, amount of years, but that crowd that I was hanging out with, I mean, that was pretty much, I, I lived to hang out with that group of people and do shows with them. But looking back and, and, you know, my life now, certainly I, I feel like I'm just now learning what the discipline to performing and writing is which is kind of funny I mean I never stopped doing it completely but I would drop out and you know maybe do a storytelling show here or there um but way back the times of Larry Sanders I you know I still had a lot of time to be out if not doing these shows hang, being around that atmosphere a lot now, what was the difference between back then and when you say doing storytelling shows? I mean, because I was storytelling, I've done some of them lately, and it's just because it's comedy. As I said, comedy, you sit there, and you were in the alternative scene, but they were sort of a storytelling show. Now, what's it like if you do a storytelling show, or when you were doing storytelling shows then, were you being yourself when you would tell the story, or were you doing a character, or how were you pulling it up? I was always being myself. I just think turning it up a notch and making that a character was how I fit into stand-up shows where I really didn't belong. But the storytelling was always, you know, I was I, the whole time I've always been trying to tell a personal story, even with my stand-up now. I just think I've painstakingly, it's taken me all this, all these years to sort of figure out. It, it's just, I, I feel like I, I kind of did it backwards. You know, th- within this past couple of years, I've gone on the road and done the traditional comedy club circuit which you know you got to get really specific when you do that when you're doing six shows a weekend and it and it's all that stuff about bringing a room together and speaking to people you know if you're not in LA at a storytelling show you can't just jump in and say something that's you know uh abstract or dirty or weird or revealing or psychological because people on the road general audiences they will worry about you they don't understand there's not a shorthand and they're trained they're trained to a certain they're trained they sit there go okay i walk in i see the host and it trains you and that's not necessarily a bad thing and i think for years it's just a different thing i think for years i thought that that way was really crappy and what i was doing was more artistically pure and i think it's just you pick and choose what's going to help you grow at this moment and for me right now it's like Oh, I have to show up and this next crowd of people, I still have to address the fact that they think I'm Chloe from 24 and that's okay because they bought the ticket and they're really excited and they're not, they're in a city that's not LA and New York. They don't want to hear, you know, about my, whatever, my dream last night. I don't really talk, I don't really talk yeah. about stuff like that, but <laughs> it's just like you can get away with experimenting with stuff in town that you can't get away with on the road because you sort of have to address certain things. And if you have a personality like I do, you know, that's where the challenge, that's where the biggest challenges happen for me because I don't have that, hey guys, what's going on? You know, first of all, I'm a woman. Second of all, I'm not very presentational. I'm more interior. So that's where I've been getting a lot of great work done is to learn how to make a connection with an audience in a general way and how to do that again, how to do that in two shows a night for 45 minutes. And you are, you're delivering the same jokes and, you know, I have a new appreciation for those um, comedy clubs that I spent years looking down on. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to ask you that because, because, you know, in LA, you said in LA, in LA, it's a point where you do eight minute, seven minute sets. And like a few years ago, when I go back to Philadelphia, I said, oh, I'm back visiting my girlfriend. I might as well book shows. Well, you're used to doing eight minutes here. Then it's like I hadn't done Senate for a long time. And it's like, okay, you're featuring do 30. And it's a hard transition. When you have to transition to 45, I mean, that's – people don't understand when you say, oh, you have to do 45 minutes oh, of comedy. Yeah. And then – and people who said everyone's a headliner. Yeah, everyone that I can headline. But you, when you're headlining, then you also find out, oh, wait a second. Okay, I'm on a roll at 36 minutes and everyone's getting their checks. You know, that's the old thing for the, con- yeah. the headliner. It's saying, how did you transition to doing the longer the longer sets? Because you really didn't get a chance to practice them in L.A. You don't get to do, you can't just go to a club and do 45, and then you have to go to a comedy club, and it's a whole new ballpark. I mean, it must have been somewhat intimidating to you. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I think I just had 
a couple of bad shows, but I started, I featured a little bit. So I did the 30 minute set for a while and then just kind of jumped off the edge for the last 15 minutes. I also had a one woman show that I did that was about, um, it was called Maryland spreads her legs. And it was about me accidentally getting pregnant. And there was as many hilarious structured, you know, it was all written and, and acted out theatrically, but there were moments that were really hard and emotional. And so I kind of plucked a few pieces from that that are still in my stand-up, especially in the longer set. There's little chunks that I got to use from that, you know, and a couple of stories that I just knew from, you know, years that sort of were still funny and applicable and then there were there was a few minutes of addressing the 24 stuff that honestly when I first started on the road I I was trying to not do that because the comic in me was like okay I want to start my stuff and then I could see people going like what what is she doing because they were regarding me as having seen me from TV so I couldn't just be like oh here you know I'm just this girl here's the stuff I want to talk about I had to methodically go through that which is a great problem to have but it you know it turned into depending on the room in the city two to five to 15 minutes where I would talk about 24 and you know do it in my own way and there would mostly be jokes if people were really really excited I would just stop and go what do you want to talk about oh you watch the entire series right in four days let's talk about it because people really if they're really into 24 they need to tell you who, where they were, what they were doing, who they watched it with. I watched this with my family growing up. And so, you know, I kind of learned to love that because the alt comic in me is like, oh, you know, I don't care about that. I want to do my work. So it's been a, you know, it's been a really pretty cool thing. What was it like? I mean, because you were doing a lot of comedy when you auditioned for 24. I mean, it's, I always I always wonder when people are in a show that is just affects people's lives it's like you know i know a lot of guys who wrote for seinfeld who sit there and they you know when when you're writing you don't think that right. years later like people are gonna remember like steve scrovan says how he joking around called him uh sven jolly and larry david said, hey yeah, it's a sven Jolly. let's put sven jolly in. and and he also you know and peter melman was saying how it spongeworthy you know you don't you when you're when you're doing that process you don't think i mean like any of us you don't think that years i mean if you talk to anybody about spongeworthy or this they know it with 24 i mean you you when you went in for the audition right what 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 were you looking at what were your size what did your agent tell you like cuz you had to Well use, first was, i want to address what you just said which i think is really interesting that i uh which i think is kind of a truth of the creative process you can't go into it thinking especially as a writer I'm going to write something that's going to stick out and stick in people's minds and be amazing. Of course, it's going to end up being the off the cuff thing where there's a safe zone and you're making your friends laugh and you stumble upon these things that then stick with people forever. That's the best. I love that. It's just like, oh, I said this dumb thing one day. It just slipped out of my mouth and it ended up being the best thing ever. That's great. I love when comedy happens like that. And um, also, oh, you know, so 24. Yeah, I didn't really audition for any dramas at all and every once in a blue moon I had gone on you know a CSI audition or something like this and it was so you know they're they're horrible parts like these throwaway parts but as an actor and as the casting director you know it's I don't even know what it was like girl who got raped or whatever and you know whose boyfriend was murdered who knows I went in there and it's like this is like this sucks you know to go in, in and then i i was just thinking about so much stuff and oh they have to sit here and watch rape girl after rape girl come in right. and you know i i'm you know i i always can't help there's that nervous energy so you're just being goofy in the room and i think i acted the part right but i but i probably was joking around about it to the point where they were like what what's wrong with her like why right. she, like i had no concept of how you even go in a room like that like it just even to this day on 24, I had, this was, you know, one of my last, uh, the, the last season where I was being tortured and, you know, I, I take my craft really seriously and I was into it and I was being tortured. But in between, I would jump up and be like, oh my God, like that was weird because it's, you know, it's a strange thing. Um, but anyway, then, so I had a really bad audition was my, the point of all that. And then my agent called me and said, 
you know, the creator of 24 would want, wanted to see you because he had seen me in this movie called Punch Drunk Love, uh, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, where I played an overbearing sister to Adam Sandler. That's a great movie. And uh, he liked me in that movie. And so that that was him already sort of pre-casting. He just liked the quality that I had and thought that would be good for a computer geek in CTU. So that was all uh, Joel Cernow, the one of the creator, uh, executive producer of 24. And there was no material. I finally did get a few sides and it was, yes, Jack, no, Jack. It was just, it wasn't really there. There was nothing, you know, to move the plot forward in that character at that point. And he met me in the hallway before I had even got in the room and he said, I love you. I want to write a part for you. There, there's no there's no materials. Like everything I was thinking on the way there. And he, and he said, do you like the show? I said, I love the show. Meanwhile, I had watched two or three episodes right. the night before because I was like, okay, I'll go in on it. That's, no, I don't even watch drama. That's such a comical creative thing. It's like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I love the show. And, and, and Oh, he, he called me out on it. And he's like, you don't watch the show, do you? I was like, no. And then, you know, it was, and, and honestly, it was a really uplifting meeting because it was incredibly validating for him to even say he was going to write a part for me. And I did not believe it. I had had enough experience that I was like, okay, things happen. He liked me. He saw something of value in me in a place on a drama that where I would have never like, this is great. I'm going to go on with my day. And then sure enough, he wrote a part. And even then I thought, okay, this is interesting. You know, this will go four episodes and, it'll be over. And then it just kept like a little bit more, a little bit more. And next thing you know, it's, you know, big chunk of my life. Yeah, how do they, how do they tell you? Like you sit there, I mean, you, you keep thinking, cause we all, we're all, anyone who's creative, we, we're insecure. I mean, people can sit, you see someone, walk, a comic or a guy walking in like, Oh, I'm the man. You're like inside. You're going, ah, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just doing that because I'm insecure. And I think it must be hard, you know, when you sit there and you, you get this role and then it's someone who believes in you, the, you can tell the creator believed in you. It must be just, hard to sit there and ex- like do you start expecting it's going to get bigger or would you just, do you always are you were you hesitant because you know it seems like the path in 24 of your character it's just getting better and better like it's not I think like for a long time i didn't expect it and then after a while i did expect it and then after a while i was like wow what a big part of the show i think and, and the whole thing was gradual but those definitely those first few episodes you know, it was interesting because I would be in a scene or two, but it was such a new atmosphere for me that I could go on with my life and then really focus in and do these couple scenes in this place where I didn't ever think that I would be and then be like, oh, that was cool. And that was challenging. You know what I mean? It was never it was never a throwaway, but definitely some of those early days I didn't have a lot to do. But the whole world was so new to me that it was challenging to show up and and I definitely felt like I didn't even really fit in on that show. So it was always an interesting puzzle for me. And then there was a definite shift when the writers wrote me being loyal to Jack. And then from that point on, it was a kind of a train that was taking off because they didn't plan for that. And so in that, because they didn't plan for it, they didn't expect it to happen. And for that reason, the audience went on, goes on that ride too because people thought I was annoying and it's so great because I'm such a beloved character that people uh they don't remember like oh yeah no you hated Chloe <laughs> you, you know you, you thought she was annoying and rude and then once it was shown through the writing that she could be trusted and and then of course when she started helping Jack people were like oh I she wasn't what what I had prejudged her as. And so then that's when things got really interesting. What's it like? I mean, no, just because of the crowds, like I know Louis Lombardi was on and he said like, people were always like, hey, you know, wherever he goes, people remember him as oh, Edgar yeah. and stuff for you. What's it like? Because you know, you, you were a comic and you know, in all honesty, and you were performing this and you were in the alternative thing. Now, all of a sudden you're being considered, you know, people are seeing you as this character and it must be just weird for someone that all of a sudden, Everyone loves you. They love the show. Right. I mean, it's what's it like when I mean your whole life must just switch. I mean, I mean, you could you could you go out in public all the time? Where did you get, did you get bothered? Where before you were someone who may have been noticed, recognized, but now all of a sudden it's like, hey, there's there's Chloe. You know, and people knowing you not as Mary Lynn, but yeah. knowing you as Chloe. I mean, what is that like as for a, for a person to go through that? I mean, you know, ninety 
five, 90% of it is really great and really nice. And, you know, I'm lucky that I'm very lucky that I had the part that I did in the position that I did. I I mean, Kiefer just popped into my head. I, it's gotta be hard, you know, same thing with him. Like, Oh, Jack Bauer. It's just that much more. Cause he's the man, you know, like I'm still the side character. So I get a lot of just really genuine fans and it's really nice that they like my character like that's a really it's a very special thing that I definitely don't take for granted and it changed my life in a lot of ways you know but having said that every year that goes by and there's still people that come up to me because they left it open-ended narratively that are like oh is it coming back and I think I'm finally getting to the point where I'm like Okay. I mean, I'm not going to say that I wouldn't do it. They already brought it back once, but now every t- time that passes, I'm like, you know, I was ready to move on before and you, and it got brought back, which was wonderful thing. Wonderful. Right. Great experience. Again, there's no way I'm not going to do it. It's a huge part of my life, but now I'm finally getting to the point where I'm like, okay, you know what I mean? I, I will always appreciate. And probably if, a few days went by and nobody called me Chloe. I'd be like, Hey man, what's up with right. that? But there's also, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm good to move forward in life and I not think, have that happen. I think it's sort of like when a, when an athlete retires, you know, they, they're on this thing, this team, they're a great athlete and then they retire and then they sit there and someone says, Hey, come back. And then you, they come back and then, <laughs> then, then they sit there and they go, you know what? Uh, I don't think I want to go back anymore. And it's not because you don't like the project. It's just say you want to move on because you know now you're doing stand up and stuff. It's like, I mean, you've always done stand up, but it's like I'm sure there's other avenues you want to go into. And so it's you can't sit there and go, okay, well, yeah, we just started right. really loving her stand up, uh, but now she's not doing that because she's back as Chloe. It's funny because on the road, like I said, I definitely and I still will. You know, the bread and butter is people that know me from 24, but it's starting to wane and. So now, especially in town in L.A. And by the way, I love performing in L.A. It sounded like I maybe that I didn't earlier. I, Do you really? I mean, what makes you? Because, I mean, I I, it's, I don't know. It's weird. I It's there's so many comics that go on stage. Oh, but, yeah. And, and, you know, it's like when I was in I'm thinking back when I was in Philadelphia, I think we had like 25 <laughs> open micers. I mean, seriously, like when we started open mic, like, you know, it was. Like I was behind like Keith Robinson. He was a class and Todd Glass was two glasses. You always call classes. And then like Paul started towards the end and Paul always hung out with this guy named John Matta and he hung out and Adam you know McKay. John Matta. Yeah, and John and Adam. Adam. And so we all and we would always go, you know, to the bar down the street and Nick's roast beef in Philly and drink and eat and talk. And there's only like twenty five of us. And there's like the married guys who would do their set and then they'd leave. <laughs> and then there wasn't a lot of female comics back then, but they would hang out. And then there was like the guys who were just nuts. Like, you know, like you knew they weren't, mm-hmm. they weren't funny, but there was only like 25 here. There's like 2000 comics. Yeah. And it's like even more like even back in the day in New York, there wasn't as many. I mean, so I mean, what do you like about the comedy scene here? Is it, it's, doesn't it doesn't get a little too crowded for you sometimes? Well, I mean, it's really saturated, but also you can find anything here and you can find comedy every night of the week. You can go out anytime you want and find rooms that are low pressure that you can say stuff that you may or may not ever say again. And, you know, I still love the big ones. I love the comedy store. I love the improv. Those are real rooms that have energy and that you are doing real sets. And even, uh, you know, UCB Franklin the other night and Nerd Melt are, the audiences are so fun and they're so into it. You know, um, now I don't know if that's a good gauge for doing material in the rest of the country because I think they're um, really forgiving here because they're they're excited to be at the show because um, they're cool shows and there's a you know there's an assumption that people are really smart and funny that are just affiliated with these shows in L.A. Um, but certainly there are nights where I've gone and done rooms where there haven't been anyone. There, ha- there's no one there, and the energy's kind of dead, and you don't really know the other people, and you know, 
like you said, there's like way too many comics and yeah. you haven't heard of any of them. And yeah, that's always weird. It's like I would used to say, you know, when I would, I, cause I don't really do much anymore, but I would screw around with it. And, I, you know, I would go to, I would do that show at the Flappers with all the, I think you did it yeah. with all the female comics, Cooper's Angels. But then I would go on some shows and, you know, you go into a show and, you know, there's a place, Spotlight Cafe in Studio City. And I go, wait a second, there's 14 acts. I don't know one of them. Like, yeah. like, I don't even like their name. I'm not even friends with them on Facebook. And if you're not friends with a comic on Facebook, there's something wrong with it. But it's just weird for me. It just seems like a lot of times there's just so many people out here. Yeah. And, and it's just changed. I mean, when you were doing the alternative show, you know, back then, there was people who they came out here and that came from the bare sense. Like, we want to do something different. And they did it. And now it's just there's so many comics. It just, it gets, it's just it's like you, a thing yeah, to go like, into. It's like a hobby now. It's like people sit there and go, oh, I'm going to go do comedy. Yeah, well, when you put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> now, what was it like for you trying to get booked with like with clubs when you were sitting there as you go on the road, and some club owners may just know you as Chloe from Twenty Four. Oh, they all did. So, so I, mean, I just had an opportunity. It was straight up through my agents, my booking agents, who, I mean, it was very calculated on their part. They said Twenty Four is coming back on the air. We can get you bookings because of that. So, I mean, that's part of the reason when I said I have to address Twenty Four, and I was kind of dumb going into it like oh you know especially when 24 was on the air the latest version of it i my you know some of my club dates were packed to the brim and then i went back and did that same club a year and a half later but what was really cool is that i had the show ready to go because i had already been focused on stand-up it's just that the world didn't really know it so i was featuring for my friends what did i do Not la jolla like irvine and you know just did some of these clubs as a feature. Um, and then by the time I did these comedy clubs as a headliner, I think I surprised a lot of people by actually being a comic and not just being, and, and also I would get a lot of audience members that maybe didn't go to comedy clubs before and, and were just coming to see Chloe from 24. So I would take them on this journey of, you know, where they just were like, oh, we didn't think we were going to go there with this woman who, you know, we're having a good time and we're laughing and we know way more about her personal life than we Like, they would have been happy to just have their thing signed. And if I had gone there and just played the DVDs and stood in front of them, right. they would have been happy. <laughs> the pointer. You know, there were nights where it's like, what am I doing? And there were nights literally where people, where audience members would go, what are you doing? You right. know, I remember I was coming from the bathroom and this woman, huge smile, really bubbly. I don't know. She was from Puerto Rico and oh, my friends, we love you. And we Facebook about you. I told them I was coming here. And then her demeanor totally changed. And she goes, why are you doing this? And that was one, that was as I was going to take the stage. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> That's the like, worst. All you want to see is Chloe from 24. <laughs> but now, so anyway, oh, well, what was I saying? I I packed out the room when 24 was still on the road, on the air. Went back to the same club a year, year and a half later, and it was like half the crowd. So there were still hardcore 24 fans, you know, down on the floor. And then there was like the middle section. The back section was empty where it was packed before. The middle section was like, you know, drunk people who had been flyered, drunk, angry people. You know that those crowds no. that are like they don't know where they are or oh, let's go to the comedy club. I'm like, no, that's not a good idea. Hey, like, here. go to a loud, you know, <laughs> dance club or go home or that's... like go to a field or something. Like, don't go somewhere that that's an actual show. <laughs> that's the worst. It's like you know, they're, they're the people that just go that are drunk. They'll show up like they'll get flyered. Yeah, and then they'll go and go what? What is it too? There's two item minimum. So I've got that. I don't have to pay. Wait, I got, I got to buy shit when I come in here? Yeah. And you're like. Oh, yeah. And then they're mad when they sit yeah. down. They're like. Oh, wait. And then, of course, they're getting more drinks, which yeah. they don't need. <laughs> and then they're going to get kicked out. It's like, what's wrong with this system that's, is a little antiquated. Like, that's the worst. When, when you know, and and you, you'll get it. You get it more on the road because you said L.A. you get spoiled or New York you get spoiled. But that's that's what I never understood is when you someone goes out to a comedy club. And the worst is when they're on a date. Like, you know, I think when you're going on a date, you want to be a, a, <laughs> Spend imp money. impressed to the girl, you know, impress her, not not just get drunk and be an asshole. And I've never understood that. And, you know, for comics, we have to deal with that. But I never thought that people, you know, I'm like, what is the process of going, right. paying 20 bucks to get in, buying food, buying drinks, and then yelling shit at the comic, and then you look like an idiot. I've never understood that. 
Well, as you were saying it, I mean, I'm kind of understanding it. I think people are just, some people are just bottled up and they need the release. But they get mean. And yeah, like, they get they, mean. Like, how do you handle a heckler? I mean, it's just because, you know, you're sitting there and as you said, also, you have the thing where people think you're, you know, they might, some people might think you're Chloe and then they might think, oh, you know, there's always that one guy's like, oh yeah, man, I went to that comedy club and Chloe from 24 called me an asshole. You know what I mean? Right. I mean how do you, oh yeah, I've how, had a lot of those. I had, you, I mean, I had one guy who was drunk and just kept yelling like Jack Bauer and I, I don't know, I just demeaned him and was like went and sat on his lap and put my crotch in his face and whatever told him so many ways how he wasn't like jack bauer and just made fun of him for not being able to speak and there there have been a lot of surprising things that have come out of my mouth that uh just whatever dirty or dark that in the moment, you know, afterwards, I'm like, whoa, what was that? How does how does the crowd react to that, though? Do they sit there because, I mean, as I said, it's it's different because they know you from TV. And they sit there and they, they don't think that, you know, you know, let's say you pull out an exorcist line, like what's your head spinning? You know, they don't, I mean, how do they react? Are they you know, what's shock? funny is I think I came back from the road. Where was I? I was at a room that was not that bad, but I just didn't have the patience for it. And I just immediately was like shut the fuck up. Like, right. you know, I was like in the middle of da-da-da. No, you know what I think what happened was they had given the comic before me a hard time. You know when that happens and you know where they are and then you go out and you're just like, yeah, you just did that to my friend. You know what I mean? Like they were in that you become very defensive. Like he was just in the middle of something and you interrupted for this. So I, I have the radar and so it's just instantly like just, you know, I'm doing my thing and then just turning and being like, shut I will wrap my vagina around your head and clamp it. You know, it's just like it just comes out of your mouth because I've I've just been trained from having just just weird stuff. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. You know, I you, mean, you know, there's like the just the spectrum for the and the middle, the, the mo, by and large, it's the people that think they're helping oh, yeah. and they can't shut up and they they don't realize and and there are those sometimes you do you do get some that are actually nice like you know there's there's that person who's oh, just yeah. there and they say something and they don't mean to they're just yeah, excited yeah, yeah. and they say something like oh and then they feel like an idiot and then you talk to them and then you tell them they're nice and you can tell they're nice and then you can have fun with them yeah and then your set goes well yeah now do you feel comfortable with hecklers or would you rather just do your act i i don't know i, I i've i've been doing stand-up on the road for you know i don't know a couple years now so you know at i at the I don't know how to answer that question. It's a it's a big question that we could there could be you know a couple shows on hecklers. I should have been in here fresh from the road, but I've been off for about a month and a half. So. Uh, so you don't have, you don't have a good uh, heckler stories. Oh my gosh! I mean, it's you know when I first went on the road, it was I just want to see if I can pull it off and do the 45 minutes. And then there was oh I can do it. Now I want to see if I can get my laughs like really sharp and really popping throughout the whole show. Then I get the showdown where I just know it verbatim, where I know it so well. Then there's moments where I'm like, oh, I don't ignore people, but I go for them, you know. And then you have that where your set breaks open and I'm just psychologically reading this woman and her boyfriend. And then you got to get back into the act and you're like, well, I don't want to get my back into my act. I've just stopped right. and talked to these people for 10 minutes. And then then that then the interruptions become the funner thing you know and then i started getting a lot more people being nasty like i said when there was the drop off where i wasn't on tv and i didn't have the people that were necessarily there to see me so you know for as much as you don't want that to happen because you just want to do a good show there's another part of you that feels stronger for that having happened now, now with you, what's what's your social media like? I mean, because when when twenty four was just starting out, social Twitter wasn't as big as it was. Right. Nothing was big as it was, and which is good sometimes because when it just shows, now if a show comes out, you know, people are just mean on Twitter. Do you get mean? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I've heard people, you know, come on and they say, you know, oh, this person, you know, and I look at it and I go, well, I think. How could, why would someone even say that? You know what I mean? Like what possesses someone? I mean, are, right. you, are your Twitter followers, I know you have a lot, are, are they friendly? Do they ask you, do they ask you about comedy? Do they ask you about 24 or do you get a mixed bag of all of them? It's a lot of 24 still. I think the tides are changing for me, which I'm really thankful for, where a lot of people are seeing that I'm funny or noticing that I've been doing a lot of comedy. Um, a lot of my rude ones are, oh, again, I wish I had them at the ready. I should have my list of my personal mean tweets i feel like a lot of my rude ones are younger angry kids almost 
isn't it like like i want to say they're like 20 and they're just like you're just stupid and you suck but some like more hateful nasty version of that where you're like oh i didn't need to hear that right, right now <laughs> i know that's just you know it's sucks. like or if i say something dumb on twitter and they're basically like go fuck yourself you're like i don't i was just saying i got a sandwich or right. whatever you know <laughs> usually stuff like that that throws me for a loop now do you do you like going back to do sitcoms now too because i know you're on two broke girls you've been on a few different shows do you like transitioning back to that after being on 24 oh yeah absolutely i mean if it's the right show and it's fun. I'm doing Brooklyn nine, nine right now, which they're great. I don't think I would go out of my way to do that. Um, unless it's just something really cool and really funny. What was, how great was it doing? It's always sunny in Philadelphia. I love that show. Your character is great. I, by the way, I have so many people that recognize me from that. And that was one episode. I mean, two episodes, but, but people, I, they have, that's the same fan. Cause everyone, oh my gosh, I, the fan base for that show is rabid. And we're it's all amazing. Well, I mean, I started watching that like the first and second season when no one's watching it. Yeah. And I go, this oh, is really man. funny. How many years has it been? They're it's been so like amazing. Seasons. It's amazing. But I mean, that must be weird. Like you said, two episodes. I mean, like, but, how is that possible <laughs> that they've been on 10 seasons? How are people recognizing me? <laughs> Just pat myself on the back. But you must that must be cool because it's a completely different character. Oh yeah, and it's, it's awesome. Comic, so I mean, I mean, it's a different crowd than what Twenty Four yeah. people will come up. So you must love that. I love it. I love Gail the Snail. The only problem with that is people are such rabid fans that I don't even know. I can't. I mean, I own it, but I'm like, yep, I'm Gail the Snail. I don't really know how to, you know, what else to say about it. But I love, I love that character, and I love that it stuck out. Now, have you ever done any of the conventions? For 24, have you done that? Or Not really. No? I mean, back in the day, I did. I have a couple of uh, these really nice guys I ran into on the road that were like, we could help you. And like, I just haven't, uh, I don't I don't know. What's that? I mean, that must be. I, mean, I, think, I think it'd be good to connect with people. And maybe, you know, my goal is to always let people know I'm doing comedy and get more of an audience space for that. So I would do it for that reason. And of course, I wouldn't do it unless I made some coin because it's way too painful and strange. But I wouldn't do it just to make money there would have to be some type of outreach program right. <laughs> no i don't know <laughs> but i i don't know i'm just i i don't know that makes me nervous a little bit now are you do you, are you writing a lot now like for comedy because it seems it seems like you really it seems like you really want to go in you're really branching towards stand-up more yeah i mean i just it, it was such a hard hurdle to go through to get myself to go out at night it was really painful for a while, but now that I'm in that mode, I find that it's really gratifying and it's really, um, it's so much fun to be in front of an audience and to say what you want to say and to get that immediate response. You know, like last year I pitched to, to do a sitcom to major networks and I was really focused on that. Like had, um, some great showrunners that a couple of guys that we went in as a team and pitched and they didn't bite on that. And, you know, stand up is something that's there and it's it's palpable and it's tangible and you can do it and grow from it. And, you know, I'm, I, I really like it. So now when you say when you got together to write a sitcom, mm -hmm. OK, I mean, is that was that your idea in the beginning and then you found showrunners or was it something you've always wanted to do? Or I mean, because you, you appear on sitcoms a lot. Have you always I mean, would you want to be the creator and wear yeah, all those sure. hats? I mean, I would love anything that is something that is a especially a comedy i would do a drama again if it was the right thing if it, has, it was something that had a sense of humor and had and was fast-paced and was like a fun drama <laughs> if that's possible but anything that i can I, and i'm not saying i need to be like the lead or a star of a show but anything that i can do where i can invest in the character and sink my teeth into it and go to work and have a great time and be challenged and i just you know I've done a, I've been nonstop working and I've done a lot of really fun things, but there hasn't been that thing where that's really um, challenged me. So I think that's what stand up is doing for me right now. Now you mentioned earlier about a one woman show you did. Yes. Now, would you think about doing that again? Because I mean, that's, everyone says that's a funny, you should say that you're reading my mind. I did an independent movie and was approached by this guy I had met years ago who saw me at uh, the, Aspen Comedy Festival and he brought up the idea of Edinburgh for me which is something that I've thought about over the years but never really kind of focused on it and I thought and um, yeah maybe I'll do that so I'm kind of gearing up to do that would be in the summer now that's something as they say one woman show like a lot of people you know Kathy Lavin just did when people are coming out there who were doing stand-up they mix different things 
you know, hers, it's with her anorexia and her weight problem. She mixes it in her show and it's a great show for you. I mean, it's, it's, would you mix with your, with your 24? I mean, how would you, how would you formulate a, a one woman show, one person show that, cause people know you, I mean, how, right. how would you sit there? What would be challenging to you? Cause it, as we said, if you could go up and put a, a DVD of 24 or whatever, but they incorporate right. it, but it must be something that to you as a comic must be great for a challenge where if you could actually incorporate that and just the experiences, it must have been, it must be a great writing, uh, could be a great writing thing for you. I mean, I have themes that I'm working with, which involve, um, uh, you know, love and hate and, um, thinking that, ha <laughs> that hate is love <laughs> and lying to yourself. And, um, you know, there are broader, deeper things that kind of are a running thread through my life and how I deal with people and relationships. Um, and right now it's, you know, specifically with my husband and my kid, which is a situation I didn't necessarily think I would have and how you uh, misconstrue that and how you can experience uh, love in your life and not necessarily know that that's happening or just, you know, <laughs> comedically exploring that. Um, what was my line that was one of these ones where i was like oh I, it's so simple and it's so silly but the other night i was like i like that i'm gonna start working with that just coming out and being like uh and uh, nice to be here nice to see you God, i wish i was being sincere i just don't know how i'm thinking and feeling most of the time so that's like the crux of it you know it's like simple where it's like you go out in the world and you act like hey this is happening and then it doesn't really match up with what's inside of you and i think that's a really common thing where we go through our lives and like what are we really doing and feeling and why but anyway <laughs> you know I would prefer to not have a show be about 24 but certainly that's my calling card and that's what would people would know me from mostly there's a large percentage of people in the world that love that show and so um it definitely w would be addressed but but not not the not the big crux of the show I would prefer it to not be well, that'd be, that'd be, that would see, and you could do that because, you know, I mean, that's, I think. I mean, I don't want to disappoint the people who want to hear like, what was Kiefer like behind the scenes? Yes. <laughs> You're like, it's my show. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> no, no. Do you have any plans to go back out in the road in the near future? Are you putting anything together? Uh, I am. You're so good. You ask all the questions I'm, of I'm people. Um, I'm taking a break from the traditional comedy clubs and I'm, I really think I'm going to put together the show for Edinburgh, but if anything, I might do some smaller venues and outreach on social media. Do you know what I mean? Just to, just to kind of get away from the traditional bookings and see what kind of audience I can piece together in smaller venues and maybe hook up with one or two other people. Um, but it's pretty unformed right now. You know, it's going to be weird though. And it's funny. It's because once you get, you know, you go from the, the alternative thing in the smaller clubs and you start doing the clubs and you right, and then you go back and it's so weird because we, we can go back and forth. But then you start missing the clubs. Yeah. And then now, and then you could do, let's say you do Edinburgh. And then a year from now, you go back and do the clubs. And yeah. you might be like, what did I, I don't, I don't miss. It. It's weird how we can sit there. I mean, I can turn it off and turn it on by going on stage and not going on stage. But it's weird how we can do that when you sit there and you've gone out and have done it. Instead of like, you know, being an open micer all the time, you've gone out and you've yeah. headlined the club. So, you know, I mean, you as we're it. talking about it, I'm starting to feel a little bit like, oh my God, because I haven't been on the road in a month and a half. But I've been performing nonstop in town, you know. But I yeah, know exactly what you're talking like about. Jones, it's like that Jonesy. But then yeah. when you get there, you're like, eh, you know. Like I, as you were saying that, I started to feel a little bit nervous because I'm like, oh, I haven't done my road set in a while. Like I gotta get back out you there. You gotta get out there. Yeah. You gotta do the. You gotta headline at the Claremont Flappers. <laughs> you can do probably. 40, oh, I did that a couple okay, weeks ago. Like 45 minutes. You do 45 <laughs> minutes, and they bring like 15 acts in at the Claremont Flappers. I just love that name, the Claremont Flappers. Yeah. Anyway, you know that's that's almost an hour. Oh my gosh! It thanks. Thanks by. for having me. I no, no. You are delightful. Give give your uh, social media so people and spell your name because people don't know how to spell. It's at I changed all mine there so they're uh, across the board. My name at Maryland Rice Cup M A R Y L Y N N R A J S K U B. And that's Twitter. Twitter, Insta, and your website. Your website. My website MarylandStandup.com. And, and did you Instagram a lot? I'm getting used to it. Well, what you about you? I Instagram people follow me at Cooper Talk One. I, I do a lot of just stupid stuff. Um, also follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. My website CooperTalk.net. I have over 450 episodes up there. 
Go check it out. Send me an email, cooper at coopertalk.net. I will respond to you. Uh, if you have a Google tablet or Android phone, go to the Google Play Store. There's a Cooper Talk app. It's free. Listen to all my shows. Um, and don't forget my cookbook, uh, StopTheSalt.com. When I went through the health problem, you know, a few years ago, I wrote that low-sodium cookbook. It's Christmas. Buy it. Go to StopTheSalt.com. You can get it at Amazon. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. But if you buy it at StopTheSalt.com, I will sign it, and I make more money. And it's all about me making money. So follow Mary Lynn on Twitter. And she's, you tweet a lot. She tweets a lot. So follow her. Follow me. Uh, next week, next week, a very special show. Uh, a legend is coming to the studio. I don't know how I booked him, but Ed Asner will be here. Ed Asner will be on. So uh, check that out. So, yeah, so follow Mary Lynn. Follow me at Cooper Talk. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I will talk to you guys next week.